Hello, fans of planing. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is, I'm sorry, I was trying to think if I was a fan of planing. Uh, <laughs> my name is Ian Boothby. And this is the Fans Planers. This week, we are tackling a movie that is dear to my heart. Ian, is it dear to your heart? Are we talking about the Emoji movie? Or are we doing it one more time? <laughs> We're doing it one more time. I don't think we went into it deep enough. Nope. One, one more cut. The first cut is the deepest, they say. But let's try it mm-hmm. one more time. No, we're doing The Princess Bride this week, and uh, it's a movie I have very fond memories of. Uh, how about you? Okay. I, I, I do. I enjoy it very much. Now, now you traditionally mm-hmm. uh, see a movie once. Yes. And then that's that's it. Then you walk away. I traditionally see movies many, many times. Yes. Uh, so uh, with this one, what's your what's your background on this? Well, actually, I think we saw this movie together. All right. Because I have a memory of us seeing it together, and I think we saw it in the theater, but I could be wrong. It might have been a yeah, rental. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it in the theater. Okay. Sure, yeah. 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 So I think we saw I it together. I think we saw it at the. I think we saw it at the Granville Seven, if I'm remembering That's correctly. That's right. That's right. You are yeah. correct. And I have watched it since then, not for many, many years, but it's a movie that I always thought very highly of, and I, I was one I made sure that my daughters watched when they were younger, because I feel it's a a great movie for kids. And adults, but I think it's a good movie to sort of indoctrinate your children into when they're when they're young. You know, you, right. want, you want to get them in, into the Princess Bride. Then you know they'll be good people. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's uh, it's the kind of movie that uh, ages with you, and you pick up things mm-hmm. that you didn't uh, didn't before as uh, as you uh, uh, keep uh, going going on. It's also a nice movie. It's one of these movies that's a lot like. I mean, the first thing that comes to my head, uh, unfortunately, is Yellowbeard. It's one okay. of these movies where uh, it's a bunch of people who are different types of comedians all got together to do uh, a film. So Yellowbeard, you'd have Cheech and Chong with the Pythons, yeah. which you'd not traditionally see them together. But in this in this movie, you've got you know a Wallace Shawn yeah. going with like a Christopher Guest, you know, going. You know, it's like all these people who you would never see together and will never see together ever again. But they all just came together in this wonderful uh, uh, mix. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, like Peter Cook's here. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, look at what Carol Kane just showed up. Oh, all right. They're playing Andre the Giant for laughs. If you say so, uh, and yeah, it all it all comes together and it all works. And there's there's your crossover from Yellowbeard to to the Princess Bride is Peter Cook is in both films. There you go. So yes, it you're right. It is a mix because or even you, like Mel Smith. I was going to say I was going to say Mel Smith, of course, is in it uh, from Not the Nine O'clock News would probably be his most noted performance. Perhaps not. Perhaps I'm I'm mixed up. Though, a little I, bit. though I would say if you were. If I if I'm mentioning Mel Smith, though I did enjoy not the nine o'clock news, I'd say he he was the director of the Tall Guy, which is one of my favorite movies. That's a very good. So, yes. So I'd always uh, give him a nod for that. Sure, sure. That's that's a very good film. And uh, yes, yes, that's right. And and uh, yeah, just the various mix of of yeah, sort of like Mandy Patinkin, not known as a comedic actor, I don't think, but he brings a sort of straight, a very serious element to his role, almost a sentimental romantic element to it that is funny in context but isn't necessarily funny if you took that out of the movie into a different film it would be a totally different sort of reading on that character right and you're coming at it right now too rob reiner is the director Mm -hmm. and you're coming at it smack dab in the middle of rob reiner can do no wrong yes he certainly had a sweet period up until i guess north was his 
colossal Yeah, North was, but failure. then again, like after that, he had the American president goes to the Mississippi. I mean, they did fine. Mm. And, you know, uh, he did The Bucket List, which isn't a great movie. But I think but The Shine was, pop- was off of his... his yeah, but, yeah. It, but, but The Bucket List is popular enough that that became a saying yeah, yeah. that, you know, people now know. Yeah. But yeah, he had uh, This Is Spinal Tap, then went to The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, Sure thing, Bride, Sure Thing After Spinal Tap. I was trying to think of that today, where The Sure Thing fell in his career, because yeah. that's one of and my then, favorite films by him, actually. Yeah, this is di- this is smack dab between Stand By Me mm-hmm. and When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, yeah. And then it goes to Misery, then it goes to A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, we hit North, and then we're in trouble. Uh, but then it goes to American President, which did fine for him, and then it was kind of... I've never seen America, the American President. It's fine. I do it's, feel it's like a-, uh, a Few Good Men is... It's an okay... I mean, I think people think of it fondly, and I know it was a popular film, but... I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a little overcooked, but it depends. Well, I'll tell you something that his movies did, uh, whether you think like they're great or they're, or they're not. And something like Spinal Tap to me is, is just plain great. Yeah. Uh, Culturally, they got in deep to where on all, almost all these movies, you could say a quote from them and it's just something that everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows it goes up to 11, you know, Spinal Tap, <laughs> have what she's having. Yeah. You know, yeah. your dirty birdie from, you know, you can't handle the truth. Yeah. You know, he, he, he got deep into the culture with all of these movies and just, uh, and, and, and hit hard, you know, in a way that, you know, other filmmakers, you'd go, Oh, that's a very talented filmmaker, but you, <laughs> but it doesn't sit with you. Yeah. And, no, you don't quote it in regular conversation, whereas a Rob Reiner movie from around this era, you definitely do. And there's a bunch of quotes from this movie that, yeah, you just say, you know, inconceivable. Uh, you know, yes, yes. My father prepared to die. Uh-huh. You know, it's uh, yeah, he really he had he had it. He had I- his finger on it. And then, uh, you know, kept it on it for a very, uh, a very long time. Yeah. I wonder if doing Spinal Tap taught him the value of the catchphrase as, a, as something memorable in a movie, you know, that that movie became, wasn't like a rip-roaring success, but it became a cult success because it was such a, and it feels like it kind of lasts through its quotability, you know, like, not yeah, just it goes up to 11. How do you but... do that, though? Like, how do you come up with it? Like, you don't, like, go, you know, it'll be a catchphrase, this. It's really... No, you don't, but you think in terms of, you think in terms of startling moments in a film, right? Or or repeating things, or having something, like, you can't handle the truth is a very key moment in the film, but it's such right. a pithy saying. You could, you could... You know, you could. It feels like a really polished phrase that someone's worked over to get to the that kind of that kind of like something that would stand out that much in the film. You know, like yeah, and you do get Jack Nicholson not in most of the movie, and then you have him <laughs> having a yelling scene at the end. Yeah, and yeah. then you put that yelling scene in all the trailers. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that is a good way to work your way to a catchphrase. <laughs> but I don't know how in this movie you uh, you go like you know what's going to be a good catchphrase i don't know like this <laughs> this movie there's so many ways that this movie could have lost people you sure. know it go it goes in very very different directions and takes some very bold choices sure uh, and it, it it fits in the same kind of ground almost as a, a never ending story or a labyrinth almost it's that kind of fairy tale movie mm. and like if you're legend, going to yeah. yeah legend and and those movies did okay yeah but they yeah. do anything like this because like just imagine you're going to the movies mm. and you're out on a date and it's like uh, all right what do you want to see it's like well do you want to see this fairy tale movie no i'm not a child why would i see 
this fairy tale movie. That doesn't sound like something that, you know, us as adults should see. But, hey, uh, everyone went, yeah, we should see it. I don't. A, I don't think this film was consider. This film was not considered a hit at the time. It was a. It was a success on home video, but it was. Sure. But in terms of, th- You're think, right? It made thirty million on a sixteen million dollar budget. Which yes. usually you can double the budget of a film to figure out the the promotional cost for it. So that gives you a sense. So they don't they don't put their promotional costs in the in the in the yes the the production budget figures. So you have to kind of fudge that a little bit and kind of usually they say if you double it you have a pretty good sense of and I don't know how promoted this film was but it was in all the theaters it had lots of prints out there so that's all very expensive to do so i would say one of the one of the things that makes this work if i'm just generalizing off the top and lord knows that's what i do yeah uh is that it is something that is that there's a lot of bizarre stuff in here and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that you've really got to like say to the audience you got to give us this you know for it to make sense but all these actors play it sincerely. Mm-hmm. They play it so sincerely. Mandy Patinkin <laughs> does an amazing acting job yeah. with this, you know, a role that shouldn't be that good. It shouldn't be. Yeah, but yeah. he but he gets it. And Robin Wright, you know, who I think is the most underrated person in this movie, even sure. though she's the title character, yeah. like she's she sells it and you feel it. And mm-hmm. and you know, and it's very few characters are even the ones who are over the top that are winking at the audience, perhaps (laughs) Billy Crystal, because what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. Um, But for the most part, everyone is like playing it, playing it pretty, pretty straight and funny and, and big, but, but sincere. And they're all kind of at their, at their best uh, in this. And, and it all just uh, came together in a, in a magical way. It's funny. So I was reading up a little bit about the film on, on Wikipedia and it was saying that Rob Reiner began the production during uh when he was making the film before this one which i forget what it was now (laughs) sorry stand by me stand by me yes so during stand by me he was he was starting to get this production on 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 the role so that he would leave you know coming out of that that movie he would jump into the next one and so i kind of wonder if during the princess bride he's already working on when harry met sally hence billy crystal being in this film so you know he possibly was approached to be in when harry met sally and as sort of an overture, he uh, makes a little bit of a cameo in this film in a, in a, in a fun little role, heavily made mm-hmm. up. But, uh, of course, it has those wonderful credits at the end that show the pictures of all the cast, which I always love that in a movie. Yes. It always feels and, like, yes, we appreciate our actors. We're going to show you who they were, <laughs> not just and, their uh, names. And he was, he was in When Harry Met Sally, and he was in Spinal Tap, but he's not in, he's not in this one, as far as I know. Who's that, sorry? He did Oh, Rob Reiner himself. He did oh, yeah, put himself yeah, into yeah, it uh, yeah. himself. Uh, which again, when you're an actor, when you're a director who's also an actor, can be tempting. I know with he's with one of the R- Sally, he's one of the R O U S. What what is that? Rodents of unusual size. <laughs> that would there you go. Uh, I I know like when Harry met Sally was actually his story. He is he is basically Harry in that story. Okay, he, but he wrote okay. it and, and cast Billy Crystal, yeah. so he wanted to be in it for that reason. It makes sense with your first movie. I'm going to cast myself as the guy who's like leading people through these improvisational conversations sure, sure. because I, that way I can actually direct them. And when I'm actually shooting, yeah. all makes sense, but he isn't one of these. And then uh, Also, if you've seen the last waltz, then you, you know, he's doing a parody of, of Martin Scorsese in that film. Right. And if you want to so do that kind of control, you have a bit of a deep cut as well. So, you know, you kind of, it's yeah. it's keeping the meta on you know the meta levels in that film just they never stop and the layers never stop in that in uh, Spinal Tap so 
But he's not one of these guys that will uh, write himself into his own movies and give himself, you know, that really super juicy role that sometimes, no, you know, it's true. When, you have a, when you have an actor who's a director, uh, sometimes they uh, do a little of that. Oh, uh, but it don't hard make to, sense. Hard to blame it. them if, you know, if they're, are you, are you still upset about Chaplin is what you're telling me. You can't, yeah. You can't get yeah. over it. <laughs> I cannot get I cannot get over Chaplin. That's what you know. You know that you know me, and I'm not going to start my Chaplin bashing as I normally do. I did enough of that with the Emoji Movie. I said that Chaplin is the poor man's Emoji Movie. Like it's a, wow. Yeah, Modern Times was like the same movie. It's the same movie, uh, but at least the Emoji Movie fixes the mistakes. That's right. That's because there wasn't enough product placement in. Uh, Times. <laughs> if any was there anything general you wanted to say about this uh, film before we go uh, th- uh through it kind of uh plot wise well let me just say before we start that um the reason well, we have here, started dave the reason that <laughs> the reason we, before we start the uh summary the reason that, that we're doing this film is that it was suggested by my daughter eve who is a massive fan of this film so uh she she said dad you should do princess bride and i said that's a good idea and if you're listening from the future the reason we're doing it instead of going to see a movie in the theater is because that is not an option right now <laughs> because uh, we are uh, you know much like in a fairy tale uh, we are we are somewhat trapped it's a magical curse has descended on the land and uh, we're not allowed to go to movies right now but we will when when we can and it's safe uh, go back to those and in the meantime we're doing some uh, some requests that you have uh, requested and in this case as you say your daughter requested this so who am I to say no? Let me just say one other thing about the film, which is I think Please. it has a really tricky, tricky design to it. Like, I feel like it has a very, it almost opens as, uh, almost opens the second act. You know what I mean? Like, it starts off with the loss of the character, the the loss of this, the one character's lo- true love. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, you know, that's, that usually that's in a movie is that's your low point, you know, sort of your, your end of second act low point in the film. But they kind of start the movie with that. Then they have a high point, and then they go into another low point in the movie. It's just interesting that they kind of it doesn't really follow the traditional structure, and also being a movie, being like a story within a story, it kind of it can kind of cheat these things and does does them very effectively, I think. But let's talk about the movie. All right, let's do it. I dare you. <laughs> I assume you have Wikipedia open to the usual slightly yeah. inaccurate recounting. We of the are story. we are sponsored by Wikipedia as usual. Yes, uh, or at least that's what I just wrote on Wikipedia. And so, what are they going to say? No, <laughs> maybe they will, but it's too late now. They're going to say uh, citation needed. What I should do is actually like if your daughter is uh, is is actually around, uh, get her to fix it because she knows actually how to work with. Oh, so uh, yeah, Mary does. Yeah, I'll have to get. Mary. Yeah, we'll get Mary on that. Um. I, all right. Spoilers. Dave's got two dollars. <coughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> yes, we're gonna we're gonna start off with uh, with uh, Fred Savage. He's sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know from what. I assume he dies at the end. Let's just imagine that he does um, cough into a mouchoir and leave a little blood on it. Into handkerchief. That's right. Yeah. He's fine. He's got a cold or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he is. Uh, his grandfather is visiting him, and it is Peter Falk who wants to read to him the story of the Princess Bride. But this kid. Oh, man, this kid ain't into it. He wants to play the video games and do the things. And, you know, I mean, this is a kid who's going to be in The Wizard either before this or after this. Yeah. So, you know, he loves he loves the video games. <laughs> um, but uh, Grandpa's going to read him an old, old-fashioned story and uh, sits down. And that is uh, that is how this begins. So and I, I, was I, I was looking it up. Uh, Peter Falk yeah. is 60 years old when this movie was made. I, I dislike 
everything about that. I dislike <laughs> that as a uh, as a person who's in his fifties, uh, hearing that there is someone who is like slightly older than me yeah. who's playing the oldest man in the world. <laughs> I know, and and there's no one who goes, "Come on, this young buck uh, couldn't possibly be." Yeah, this uh, doddering. Anyway, but I but, feel like Peter Falk was, was one of those actors who were like eternally old. Yeah, you know, like even as Columbo, he never felt like he was a young guy. But he must have been pretty young when he was. He's only in his forties, I guess, when he started playing Columbo. But he, he always seems you know, very old in those. Yeah, he's one of those guys who is like eternally old. Yeah, like an an Abe Vigoda. Yes, uh, yes. That's you know, right. when yeah. you look back on uh, Barney Miller or Godfather, yeah. and go like, he was uh, much younger than we are now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that just makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I was actually wondering, like, it's really a shame that uh, that uh, he never got to do Columbo, where uh, Fred Savage could have been the uh, bad guy. That would have ah, been a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been a real, real. I shame. mean, he could have because he did do the ones in the nineties. Mm-hmm. He did those kind of new Columbos. But he was still would have been a little boy, you know. He yeah, would but have been, been fine. He could have been a, a murderous little boy, a murderous teen. Yeah, yeah. That's less. That's less fun. You need you need a <laughs> William Shatner or Roddy McDowell sure. or something like that who sure. just gets arrogant and then it, it tricks him. But yeah, uh, Peter Falk is Peter Falcon around and is uh, is a great Peter Falk and uh, and Fred Savage is a great P- Fred Savage and yeah. it's all it's all good. It's all beautifully framed. Uh, his room is uh, is great. Uh, I didn't watch Daredevil, not Daredevil, I didn't watch Deadpool, the Christmas re-release, but I think as a framing device, they had Fred Savage uh, do this exact thing again, oh, okay. but like at his current age, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and Deadpool read him a story. The one weird thing in, in the scenes with the with the grandfather and Fred Savage is that grandfather is drinking from a mug with, with Hudson's Bay colors on it. I found that huh. I found that strange. At first, I thought, "Oh, I guess this movie was made in Canada. It was filmed in Toronto, but it wasn't. It was filmed in in England." Well, and it was. Uh, it takes place in Chicago. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I don't so, know. Uh, I I don't know what connection. I don't know if there was just someone found that mug somewhere and just oh, this is nice. Are you sure it's not like the sports colors of some Chicago team as well? Too many colors. Too many colors. Too many colors. All right. Yeah. That's a good mystery. Let's throw that out to our audience. Do you know why he's drinking from a Hudson's Bay mug? Yeah. Or at least a mug with Hudson's Bay colors on it. Uh, either that, or we'll try and contact uh, Rob Reiner after this and see what to, <laughs> see what he says. He's very reachable on Twitter. He's he's on there a lot, so we'll uh, we'll see. Um, I think that's his full time job now, and 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 fair enough. So <laughs> he's done starts enough. Tell, yeah, starts telling the story, and the story is of uh, Buttercup, and Buttercup uh, is a farm girl uh, who lives in a in a fictional land uh, called Florin. And uh, there's a farmhand, uh, Wesley, and uh, anytime she asks anything of him, and this is very important, mm-hmm. he uh, replies, as you wish. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and can uh, you just say that these two actors are like the most beautiful people in the world? Yeah. Like they're just like two gorgeous people. Like it's just like, and this whole thing has that sort of, you know, wonderfully kind of romantic, bucolic, you know, this feeling of, of you know, the, this wonderful picturesque countryside and and with these beautiful people in it yeah it's it's very appealing but what could be a boring start to a film is fortunately sold by by peter falk and fred savage because we get their back and forth the kind of kind of so we don't start with like this kind of very long sequence that's building up towards the fun of the film we kind of have a bit of fun with the grandpa and then and the young boy and then then we go into this part of the film which is kind of like a I don't know how you, what do you would call it? 
an overture or whatever to the to the main the main plot but uh and there's something they do that's to me is almost like a little trick mm -hmm. which is people when they think of fred savage they think of him from the wonder years yes and so he's not a million miles away from his wonder years character and when you think of uh, peter falk you think of him uh you know in a certain way and he's not a million miles away from colombo or that kind of character yeah he's not a million miles away from that so it all and, and the way that they shoot the opening scene it could be a tv show it's not. It's. It doesn't look uh, spectacular. It's. It's. It's very much a set. Actually, I think. Like, the, I think much of the movie has the look of a TV show to it. To me. Until okay. As, but, if, as if it was produced by Norman Lear, which it was. Could, is it produced by Norman Lear? Yeah, that's how they got the money to do it. Uh, they couldn't. They Rob Reiner. Like I think four. I, I, got, I think four I got different directors. By uh, Andrew Scheinman and uh, and Rob Reiner. I don't have a Norman Lear here. Is he, that uh, he put the money up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair fair enough. I mean there's but it's different started, it's, there's different levels of producers, right? There's right. producers who are in charge of like the line producing, you know, get casting and yeah. and putting together production. And then there's people who put the money into it, and that's a whole other level of producer. And it's but it starts off very TV. And then when we get to this uh this farm, yeah, it it spreads out mm-hmm. and it's it's just this beautiful landscape, and it couldn't be more different than the claustrophobic child's room that's covered in stuff that we see it <laughs> yeah, couldn't yeah. it's 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 not jarring it just goes and now begin yeah and now we just like we just unfold it all and these people as you say are so beautiful and so appealing and they're not wisecracking no you know they're not self-aware like yeah. fred savage is kind of wisecracky and so is peter fall mm-hmm. but no they're not these are sincere yeah. and 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 so it takes you there and you're like yeah now i'm in a movie it really it really is a nice introduction to this uh world and because they are so appealing you're like yeah yeah if it started off like all cartoony and like someone like bouncing if it started off like beauty and the beast you'd just be ugh all right what are we in for <laughs> but no it just starts all right i want to see what happens to this uh this couple. Yeah. And so they start in them as basic as possible. And now we're going to get into crazy town later on. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, she, she realizes, uh, uh, he means I love you when he's saying, uh, as you wish, but he's not able to say, I love you, which is great. Holding back the, I love you. Mm-hmm. That's just a really good gimmick. Uh, and, uh, he wants to marry her. So he's, he's got to make some money. He's going to go out. He's going to seek his fortune. Yeah. Unfortunately, when he does this, his ship is attacked by, uh, couldn't be worse, the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes, what a great name. Yeah, never never leave survivors. So uh, yeah. she thinks Wesley is for sure uh, dead. But he says that he will always come for her. Yeah. And we got to remember that. He promises her that he will always come for her. Yes. Yeah. But he has been killed by the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yep, and that's the end of the movie. And, then <laughs> back, and uh, Peter Falk looks over and Fred Savage is dead. That, and it goes well. I tried not, my best. Shuts the book. That is puts not, it on the bank. Not the end, not the end of the movie. I, I it guess, wasn't. I guess you enough. you gave up on it too soon. You got too disappointed by this. I just I revelation. believe what you tell me in a movie. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go to five years later, and uh, now we're going to meet our villain. Mm. Uh, Buttercup is now. And this is great, by the way, that they just move this along. As you say, there isn't the slow. Ugh, here we go. It's just like yeah. <laughs> Here's the villain. Here's the problem. Let's yeah, get going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Buttercup is being forced in a marriage to Prince Humperdinck, yes. which is a, it's a great name. Sure. Uh, heir to the throne, uh, 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 and but she doesn't she doesn't want to marry him. She is still in love with Wesley, even though she knows Wesley is dead. Yes. But but she, but she still loves him. 
Um, but uh, just before the wedding uh, occurs, she's kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And she's kidnapped by a trio. Uh, can can and we just say, though, before we go out for that, uh, Prince Humperdinck yeah. is played by Chris Sarandon. And if you're so. watching the movie and you go like, what else is he even in? You'll go, oh, and then like about an hour in, yeah. you'll go, Fright Night. There Fright Night. It was Fright Night. There you go. That's what it was. There you go. Yeah. And then you go, oh, and then he gave his name to Susan Sarandon. That's true. There you go. Is that right? Yeah, they were married. Oh, okay. Well, good married, for... I think they're married for about 10 years or so in the late 60s to the mid 70s. And then uh, and then they divorced. He uh, he is, aside from Fright Night, I, I know very little about him, but uh, he plays a really good villain in this. I know that much. Yeah, he was part of kind of the new actors of the of the, the, the late 60s, kind of the hip young kids who kind of came into the scene and, uh, you know, took over from the old the old fogies. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Now at this time was Mandy Patinkin also kind of uh, big in the theater scene. Is that? Is that where I he think was that's the... where you would have would have known him from. I, I I'm not sure what the timeline is for Yentl because he's in Yentl with Barbara Streisand, right? Right. I'm not sure when that film came out. I'm sorry to say I'm I'm no Yentl expert. So you're not you're not a Yentl head. Yeah, I'm not a Yentl head <laughs> exactly. Okay, well let's uh, let's see when Yentl came out. Yeah. Uh, Yentl is a long time from now. It's 1981. Yeah. 1981. So... Yeah, 1981 is when the Yentl uh, came so, out. Yes. Oh, sorry, 83. I apologize. Uh, he's, it was 1983. The film came out. So, yeah, so he would have been known from that. He would have yeah. been known more as a musical theater kind of a, a fellow. Yeah, so, four yeah. years uh, before, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of those people, one of those actors who are always terrific in everything they do. Apparently also terrifically difficult as an actor to, to work with. Mm-hmm. But gives you gives you everything you know like even a show as as dumb as dumb as dumb could be criminal minds <laughs> uh when he was on that show how, how dare you <laughs> when he was on that show you know like he kind of elevated what was this you know absolute trash you know if that's your thing that's fine but it's you know yeah, he let's, does a nice let's job face it everyone he, he's let's, fine. let's be honest with our th- with ourselves quit lying that show is garbage, but and and he's good in uh, Mr. Show when he's playing uh, uh, Ronnie. Oh, I forget his name. But anyway, the shirtless yeah. guy is always getting arrested, and then he plays the Broadway version. It's like ah, oh, so good. They did it. They did it too much, but it was great on Letterman when he would show up, sort of apparently out of the blue, and he would just sing this absolute like heart wrenching old Broadway <laughs> tune. You know, just take off his his parka, you know, because it was cold. It's New York, and then you just. You know, in his running shoes and his like casual clothes, he would do this, you know, show-stopping song sung in, you know, in his great tenor, and uh, yeah, it was great. They did a little, little too often. You kind of like the, the the shine came off that particular apple, but but when it was when it was new and when it was fresh, it was pretty great. Yeah, he's something else. He's just really he's a really good actor. Agreed. So uh, she's kidnapped by three outlaws. We got yeah. a uh, we got. Uh, uh, Vizzini, who is uh, played by uh, Wallace Shawn or Wally Shawn, if you know him, if you know him. <laughs> a Sicilian. Uh, I, and I don't, want, I don't want to brag, but yeah. I've shared an elevator with Wally Shawn oh, nice. four times. Nice. Four times. Huh. Have I said hi? Twice. Nice. That's fine. Did he say hi um, back? Did he say hi back? That's a real question. Oh, yeah. He was very, very friendly. He was very nice. His father, uh, his father was the, William Shawn, the editor of The New Yorker. Oh, is that right? Nah. The, the, oh, the, he took over from the, the founding editor, um... Oh, Ross, what was last? I can't remember the guy's name now. Sorry, but yeah, they there is the founding editor who was like the the big dreamer and created the New Yorker, and then then William Sean took over uh, from when he when he uh, left this mortal coil. 
Now, most people would know him like he was a he was a playwright, mm -hmm. but most people would know him at this point if they knew him from uh, my dinner with Andre. Sure, that was this. If you you know if you were a fan of Siskel and Ebert at the movies, then you knew that movie as if you'd seen it. <laughs> yeah, it also became almost a punchline yeah, of like yeah, very yeah. little occurs. Have you ever watched uh, that movie? It's actually quite good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a very riveting it, film. It, it reminds me, it's basically a podcast to me. Sure. That's what it feels like. It's yeah. like stick a microphone between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, right. uh, and, 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 and there you go. But it's such a, it's such a bold choice to go like, uh, make him the big, uh, kind of comedy guy in this, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, who are we going to get? We're going to get, get this, the guy from my dinner with Andre. <laughs> nice. Who else you got? Okay. Buckle up. Uh, buckle up here. Here we go. Andre the giant. Almost, what? almost couldn't do the film apparently. Oh, was he was he ill? No, well, he was he was injured. His his back was injured. He's a he was a wrestler, of course, a professional wrestler. Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he had a he had a big uh, a big match in Tokyo that he had to fight, and so oh. he was unavailable for the film. And fortunately for him, the the match was canceled in Tokyo, and he got to do the film because I think that other than his role as the Sasquatch in the Bionic Man, which of course is iconic, but unrecognizable because he's wearing a big big sasquatch suit uh, mm -hmm. he uh this i mean this is why he would he'll live down through the ages i think not not for his wrestling career but but for the, i mean obviously amongst wrestling fans but you know that's like one percent of the population i have yeah, no, I have yeah. no idea he, was he a, in in wrestling was he a heel or was he a hero i think when i watched him he was a hero but you know you you go back and forth because as the story demands right so you, you know that's as part of the part of the game as you as you play he was never a very effective wrestler mostly because when i saw him he was he was more he was more a little older than than most other wrestlers he kind of he kind of lasted uh through novelty rather than through skill mm -hmm. you know like he's pretty he's pretty slow he's pretty uh he's kind of a lumbering guy obviously he's he's big so you know he could do he could do like interesting moves but when he did this film his back was sore so he was actually unable to do a lot of the physical things in the film that he could have easily done in a normal circumstances for instance like later in the film holding robin wright in his arms he had, mm -hmm. she had to be like uh, held by a cable while he pretended to hold her just things like that because he couldn't actually do he had injured his back uh, wrestling so yeah oh, oh movies yeah. but uh i i don't know if then this affected any of that but he he his verbal stuff was great like he just yeah. became the most charming, gentle, <laughs> gentle guy. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just, if there's, if there's someone that you fall in love with in this movie, you fall in love with, with him, as a uh, Fezzik. But I think that goes with, uh, with, with Montoya as well, with Mandy Patinkin's character, is that he's, he is so very kind and polite. You know, mm. and that's that's kind of what gives the film this really kind of a magical feeling at the beginning of it is. Is you know as we go, we'll, we can talk more about it, of course. But it it's just the strange friendliness between all the characters, besides Vizzini, who's a jerk. But between the other characters, who are you know just sort of hapless fellows who, through circumstances, you know, like unemployed in Greenland, which apparently is terrible, um, <laughs> you know, they they somehow end up working for this this you know awful fellow, a real villain. But they're not villains themselves. They're just you know they just sort of unfortunate characters who have sort They're of morally compromised. Yeah, yeah who have ended up in the situation neither of whom are very happy in it you know mm -hmm. like you know the, when uh he wants the when he wants um fezzig or the giant or andre the giant to th throw a rocket 
at the masked man's head and kill him. You know, he's, well, that's not very sporting. He says, <laughs> so just, just but you know, he's thrown a rock before. And also he mentions later on that he is on the goon squad. Yeah. So the, he does. The brute squad. You know, yeah. The brute squad. He's a, high, a brute squad. Yeah. You are the brute squad. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, uh, is, yeah, he's, he's hired muscle yeah. and you know, they're, they're assassins. They, yeah. They're kidnappers. This is not unusual for them. Sure. To me, to me, I look at these three like they are the three stooges. If uh, the three stooges were intelligent and uh, and uh, a little bit kinder and funny, you know, it just feels they're definitely got a comedy group vibe to them. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned, we've got uh, and and Nigo Montoya mm-hmm. uh, played by Mandy Patinkin. Yes. Who is looking for? Who's a, a a master swordsman and is looking for revenge against the six fingered man who killed his father? Yes, yes. His father was a master swordsman. That's right. Oh no, he is a yeah. master swordsman. His father yes. was a sword maker. Yes. yes. And uh, when he catches him, he will say, uh, uh, "What will he say? He will say, uh, my name is Amigo Montoya. Montoya. You yeah. killed my father. Yeah. Prepare to die.' <laughs> and we'll hear that quite a bit in this." Yeah. So uh, they kidnap uh, they kidnap Buttercup, which is not necessarily the worst thing for Buttercup. She does not want to get married, uh, but she they are all being pursued now, uh, not just by Prince Humperdinck, uh, but also by a masked man mm-hmm. in black. And it's when they kidnap her, it's set up that that it will make it appear that a rival nation is is at fault for this. Mm-hmm. So um, Vizini is that his name? Vizini. Uh, sorry. Uh, Vizini. Yeah, Vizini. He... I could go for a big plate of Vizini after this. <laughs> sure. Mm. Maybe, yeah, if you get a takeout, it's probably fine. Uh, yeah, a little shaved Fezzik on it? Oh, that'd be that. <laughs> a little, oh, grated Fezzik. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he tears the insignia off a uniform and leaves it, plants it as a way to uh, indicate that this nation is to blame. And off they go in their boat while, while Fezzik merrily rhymes much to the consternation and anger of of vizini the the crab now we, that's why we know he's a villain mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't like people enjoying themselves <laughs> yeah he's a he's a he's a real jerk yeah uh and and through this movie we're not going to mention all the times that it keeps cutting back to fred savage and peter falk because listen wikipedia doesn't tell me when all those things are but the <laughs> but the but the rolling uh storyline of that is uh, Fred Savage gets more and more interested as we go along, and yes, uh, yes. and uh, Peter Falk is the playful grandfather who's enjoying toying with him on this. And anytime uh, Fred Savage is like a little complainy, he's willing to put the book away. But no, Fred Savage wants him to to keep going because he gets more and more into the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, the which is also very charming. <laughs> so the man in black catches up to the outlaws at the top of the cliffs of insanity. Hmm. And uh, he uh, defeats uh, Nico in a duel, uh, which is a great duel. Yeah, let's not let's not gloss over that because yeah, uh, this is a, a this is this is a sword fight that if you're looking at like modern sword fights, this is a fantastic scene. Like I don't think like yeah, you're kind of like them in the boat, yeah, and and this boat that may or may not be following them, you know, kind of looming in the distance and constantly catching up to them, which you know that's where we start to hear. Wallace Shawn's uh, eternal cry of inconceivable at the idea that this boat is is catching up with them. Although he also says it doesn't matter; it's too late. They don't, you know, uh, they probably don't even 
you know, there's no way they can know who who we are, and you know, like because he's to him they're perfectly safe because he's left behind this insignia of a rival nation. So right. no one would suspect them. They'll be they'll be blaming this other country for what's happening, and then have all yeah. To him, there. his uh, his plan is so perfect. There's no way anyone could uh, screw it up. It's yeah. just you yeah. know, you know, even even the even the boobs he has to work with uh, because <laughs> can't mess it up. Yeah, he he sings his own praises so so beautifully. And then so we have that is... we have that great scene where where Princess Buttercup attempts to escape and jumps into the water when she, when their attention is on this other boat. Mm-hmm. And she tries to swim when then she finds that there are are they the screaming eels? Is that what they're called? Yeah, pretty good. Which uh, which is a scary scares, sequence. Which also scares Fred Savage. That's right. That. So we have the scene where the the eel is racing towards the camera and then we cut to the grandpa reassuring his 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 grandson that she doesn't get killed by the eel. Yeah, which I by like. The way, I like that eels, the, the movie just kind of spoils. Are, if you've ever run into an eel, they they are scary. Okay. They're, they're not wrong that eels are terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so uh, good job on this movie. On well, that. I just I just avoid the here in Aldergrove. I just avoid the corners where they tend to hang around. You know. Yeah, and they hang outside of like the Seven Elevens yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Slithering around, asking you to buy them smokes. Sure, that's right. Um, women yeah. walk well, by. A, women walk by saying, "Shocking." <laughs> yeah. This is a this is a thing. It's like there's the screaming eels. Yeah. Which you know there aren't really screaming eels in the world, but what they've done. <laughs> What they've done with these monsters yeah. is they've taken things that are real yeah. and they've like uh, taken them up a notch. So you're not going to have them at any point fight a dragon. Yeah, They're not going to have a troll show up. You're not mm-hmm. going to have uh, any any magic occur yeah. in, in this, which you could in a fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so Besides Miracle Max, the, there's no magic, yes. But even that, yeah, even that, you could take it to some sort of science. You know, he could just be very good at medicine okay. and know what he and know what he's doing. And yeah, the machine that they use is a little bit magical. That is that is true. But things generally are not uh, the kind of fairy tale of like no, you know, uh, yeah. of of yore. There's no fa- no fairies will actually show up in this. Sure, uh, it's very matter of fact. This world. So this is the part where, if you're looking at, it's 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 almost like it's not a fairy tale. It's one of those old stories where you know uh, the person has to go up to the the five uh, you know great men, and the one can drink the sea, and the <laughs> one has invulnerable to fire, and yeah. this one can turn into an elephant. And so you know you've got to find a way of beating all of these people. Yeah. And by the end, you realize that the hero has gone through whatever the hero's journey is. La la, as you have to have. Uh, but yeah, the first, so, the first so, of this hero's journey is it's got to, he's got to battle him, the greatest swordsman that there is. So before he can battle him, of course, he's climbing up the cliff face, uh, chasing after them as they climb up the, the the cliffs of insanity, which apparently is not a real place, but there are real cliffs in Ireland. They, he's, he gets partway up, and then, and then Vizzini, being evil, he cuts the rope, and of course uh. we see the rope. Slide, you know, slide across the ground and then disappear over the edge of the cliff, making it appear as if this masked man has fallen to his death. And of course, they run over and look, and there he is climbing up the cliff. And uh, and Vizzini, of course, is inconceivable, you know, and mad. But he he leaves with with uh, Butter, with Princess Buttercup and uh, Andre the Giant, insisting that that Inigo Montoya remain behind to either watch. This man fall to his death from the cliff, or if he makes it to the top, kill him, kill him, and he gets to the top. So then we have Montoya impatiently looking down, and I just love that scene where where uh, the masked man, mask man looks up and says, "Not to be rude, but would you mind being quiet? This is this is harder than it looks." <laughs> 
I just love their politeness. That's what really makes this movie for me is is their it's just that level of of I don't know, just care. Care for each other. Even though they're going to fight to the death. They never there's no rancor in what they do. They're just Well, they respect each other. They yeah. respect each other, exactly. Well, they don't respect Vizzini. And Vizzini no. doesn't respect them. No. And no. that's Vizzini's that's Vizzini's fatal flaw. Yeah. If Vizzini had res- if Vizzini had the same respect yeah. uh, for the masked mask man uh, that the other two do, yeah. then he may have may beat him. He yeah. may have won, yeah. but he didn't. He was uh, he was disrespectful to him, and that's uh, that was his undoing. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, but so, it, it is very similar to though when you see old timey duels, mm-hmm. and you're going, you guys are going to shoot each other. That's crazy. And you're going to do it in the most fancy, respectful way yeah. possible. Yeah. That's nuts. But, uh, you know, they're, they're playing on that. And so, yeah, we've got these kind of rules. Just a, just a brief aside, a little bit of uh, a little dollop of Trollope. Is, um, it's interesting reading Trollope because when he was writing was sort of the, the end of the duel as a, as a socially acceptable act. So it's funny, in a couple of books where... There's characters who are extremely frustrated that they cannot call someone out for a duel because it is no longer a done thing. And in fact, at that time in England, it was illegal. So there is a story. There's a story where they the characters do have a duel, but they both have to leave England and go to France until all the hubbub blows over because they could get arrested for having done this. And it's sort of an interesting little little thing. Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. Never mind. It's interesting. So yes, yeah, so so Montoya and the masked the masked man have a fantastic fantastic sword fight in fact carrie ells who's playing the masked man and 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 mandy patinkin both of them took fencing lessons before the movie and they had to learn to fence with their left hand and with the right hand for the scene mm-hmm. so they were proficient in both and when you watch the sequence it's amazing how good they are both of them fighting with their left because the entire first half of the sword fight is with 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 one or both of them fighting with their left hand we have the scene you know so there's a scene where partway through the fight montoya you know, is kind of smiling and, and of course the masked man says, what, what is so amusing? And he says, I know something you don't know. What is that? I'm actually right-handed. And he throws a sword to his right hand and begins <laughs> to fight even more fiercely. Meanwhile, the masked man with his left hand continues to parry off the blows. And then they get to a point where he's trapped against something and he's he's smiling and Patinkin says, well, what's so funny? And he says, well, I know something that you don't know. And he says, what is that? I'm also right-handed. And he throws a sword to his right hand and <laughs> begins to ferociously parry back. And yes, it's a wonderful sword fight. So so well choreographed. It's, it's a real, I mean, it's something where you almost like, you know, someone saying, some you know fencing instructor saying, you know what? It's never done anymore. This this is never done anymore. This should be like fantastically done. And in fact, all the sword play in the film is really well done, I think. Uh, but this sequence is great. In fact, this opening sequence is so good. The first time I saw the film, I almost felt like it overwhelmed the rest of the film. Now that I've seen it a few times, I'm, I'm, okay, I, you know, I can appreciate the film more as sort of a balanced thing. But when I saw it in the theater, I almost felt like, wow, the opening was so great. But the rest of the film kind of paled in comparison to how great this whole opening act was. You, know, yeah, like, you need at this point, yeah, something that's actiony or mm-hmm. a big dance number, and this is the equivalent of a dance sure, number. Sure, yeah, it's great. You it's know. great. And and if they're both coming from a theater background, I'm betting that they have some sword fighting training. Sure, probably a little, maybe some, a little bit. The, yeah, maybe a little yeah, bit under the belt, and, and then and yeah, it is basically like you've got to learn a choreographed thing. Yeah, and and, and actors, actor schmactor actors love to learn this kind of thing. They love it. Well, they good. love it. That's good because yeah, apparently they took it really seriously. Like during breaks in filming, they would actually practice their fencing, <laughs> so they wouldn't just go sit in their in their trailer. They would actually get out their their. Uh, a pays their fencing swords and begin to to uh, 
to practice, which I think is great. You know, that kind of dedication shows up on the screen because it is such a great sequence, you know. Yeah. The end result of it. Oh, sorry. Go on. I was going to say, I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies, but I think of like the amount of work they put into getting their abs right so they can do that one shirtless scene. <laughs> I think like, you know, for the amount of time you did that, yeah. you could have learned some kind of crazy sword fighting <laughs> yes. or you could have learned something amazing juggling. It's just something physical yeah. Yeah. that would like actually be a skill that you could put into the movie. Like, I know, obviously, sure. someone like... You know, uh, Chris Evans, obviously, as Captain America, learned some fighting moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of that is his, yes. Uh, yeah. But I just think, like, uh, forget the taking the shirts off, CGI, that nonsense. <laughs> uh, just learn learn how to do this. Then let's see a nice uh, actual real sword fight sure. scene that I'm that I'm buying because it's very, very exciting. Yeah, let's see some gymnastics or something. Let's see some real. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be. Yeah. But no, I guess because you can CGI that stuff, too. So they don't even bother. They just throw that. They just throw that to CGI as well. And then Tony Stark, Tony Stark is animated as a, anyway. <laughs> so yeah. So, so, um, as it turns out, the mask man is the better man. He, he unswords the, uh, Montoya and, and of course Montoya, you know, tells a story, Well, he's already told the story. Okay. But it's a tragedy to, he the, tells the story the because he lets, uh, he lets the mask man rest after he climbs the cliff face. There you go. He comes yeah. up exhausted. So he says, you know what? Let's not start now. You take a rest, you know, and, and uh, yeah, that's great. And then, um, yeah, so now the masked man knows that he has this uh, mission that he's got to complete. That is his sacred quest. Mm-hmm. He needs to do this. And so, as someone who has a sacred quest himself, uh, he respects this and uh, yeah. and does not uh, does not kill him. No, he probably kill him anyway. No, I don't think he would, but because too much respect. But he does knock him unconscious, so they can't follow him. Yeah, and off he races. We cut to Wallace Shawn, I guess. Uh, Vizini. Well, the next one is the next one is the Andre the Giant. Yes, but he's he uh, he instructs as I was saying earlier. He instructs yes. Andre the Giant that you know there's no dilly dallying. When the masked man pops his head up, hit it with a rock and cause it to pulverize, and then you're done. So then, and you can catch up to us. And, and Andre which is Giant. very smart. Like he is yes. the guy in the in the James Bond movies. <laughs> You know, would be going shoot him. <laughs> you, got him you got him tied up. Shoot yeah, yeah. Him. we don't need a shark tank. You got, Just... John, you got as you say, you got John Wick tied up. Yeah. Shoot. <laughs> exactly don't, right. Don't give him a don't give him a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Wally Sean is a little bit, uh, you know, as for being arrogant, he also is very sensible in the, in this yes. one uh, one way and ruthless, and also <laughs> comes across then as a bad sport, and so yeah, you know yeah, he has yeah. to die because he's a bad sport. Sure. Un- that's unforgivable. You can't, you can't be a cheat. We can we you can be evil. You can you can be a murderer. You can be all these kind of things, but you can't be a cheat. Yes. No. no <laughs> and one thing we're we're kind of glossing over, which because it's not easily re- reproducible, is the witty banter between the characters through all these sequences. That's also really great. You know. Now uh, this is uh, of course written by William Goldman, who wrote the uh, wrote the book. Yes. Uh, Princess Bride. So always good when you get the author to write the book. It's not always good when you do that now that I'm thinking about it. No, very. But, sometimes, they, uh, sometimes they love their book too much. But I think I think this movie is quite a bit different in the book. And I think that he he was a very good editor of himself. You know, mm-hmm. But he, is, has he ever written a movie that was this funny before? Like he wrote uh, Butch Cassidy. Uh, he wrote All the President's Men. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like... Uh, was was there ever anything? I mean, and again, I think Butch, Butch Cassidy, Cassidy is a funny is it. a funny film, but uh, but it doesn't have laugh out loud no. moments in it. No, in the but this has this is a legitimate 
good comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, has did he ever have anything like that before? Or, you know, Stepford Wives, I guess a little, a little bit. Yeah. Marathon Man, not a whole bunch of laughs. <laughs> that. There's an adapted work. Um, yeah, Heat. I guess. I mean, uncredited, he did Twins. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, he also did a little tweaking on a few good men. Went back to their Reiner Well there. I think his. Um, I think his. Uh, yeah, he's probably the one who gave them the. Uh, you don't know. The, I think that his. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he was better known as a dramatic. You know, as a screenplay writer, and I think you can get kind of pigeonholed, and it's hard to break out of that. And maybe that's why he embraced doing the Princess Bride as a, as an opportunity to kind of exercise his comedy muscles. All his, you know, his better films have have elements of humor in them that you know that the, the this they're sort of situational. The comedy is more situational than it is like like this film where it's just you know obviously a comedy with a lot of comedy lines and things like that and set up punch payoff and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the year of the comet. You know, it's an amusing movie, but it's not. I mean, I guess it is a comedy, but it's more. It's also an action, a sort of adventure film as well. Um, yeah, I saw that movie in the theater. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I just read so, about it. And uh, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting, so I went and saw it, and then and it was okay. But yeah, it was no Princess Bride. It's one of those movies with TV actors in it. Do you know what I mean? Do you, well, does, that, does that make sense as a criticism of a movie? No, I hear, I hear you. Except we're in a movie right now. With, uh, I don't think there's any like big movie actors in this movie. No, but they're not coming out of they're not coming out of television necessarily. Except you know, I mean, Peter Falk did. A but little... he had a he had a big he had a big movie career as well. Like he did, yeah. But if you were if you were to go like, okay, Peter Falk, what do yeah. you know him best for? It's not for it's not for movies. You will get to the sure. Uh, you know, you'll get to the in laws eventually. Uh, he did, get... but I mean, he did John Cassavetes films, and uh, and he sure, was, sure, but he but was a I, film it, actor before he was a TV actor as well. But if so. I lined up a hundred people, and yeah, 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 well, Peter Falk, yeah, uh, what do you know him from? Sure. You're not going to get to Cassavetes, yeah. like in that. No, 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 I know, and it would be the same with any actor who had a successful television show. It'd be the same with James Garner, who had a successful film career as well. But yeah, you know, playing the Rockford Files, it lives on and reruns. It's you know that's his legacy, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just mean. I just mean like that movie that I saw that the lead actors were also TV stars, you know, so they, there's that element of television to it that is sort of off putting when you're watching a movie. Yeah, it it's, takes you, it takes you out of it. Kind of like, oh, this, I, this guy's from yeah. Wings, like. You know. <laughs> could I could I also mention that uh, someone we haven't mentioned yeah. uh, so far is uh, Mark Knopfler doing the music for this, mm. and 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 uh, very memorable. Uh, it is music. actually a really good score. I didn't realize he he did it till the end of the film. Uh, I don't. I didn't. Didn't remember him. You know. I didn't. I don't think I regarded it before. And an unusual score. It doesn't sound like a like uh, any other movie. Mm. You know, especially it doesn't sound like any other fairy tale movie. And in no way, it doesn't sound like Legend. It sure doesn't sound like Never Ending Story. <laughs> it sure doesn't sound like Labyrinth because Labyrinth was Bowie, obviously. But uh, but yeah, it's got its. It's definitely got its own pacing and flavor, and it mm-hmm. really sets the tone uh, for for the for the film. I so good on you, Mark Knopfler. And what's good about The Princess Bride is it is that it's actually good, whereas all those movies you just named aren't. I, I've only seen bits of Labyrinth. I don't think I've ever saw. All I of like it. Labyrinth. Is that I right? Like yeah. Labyrinth. It's not great, but it's yeah. it's got enough good bits. And Bowie is really good. And there's some very mm. there's some very okay. good creepy Muppet work in it. Okay, well. I'll have to give it a try. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not a fan of Legend and not a fan of uh, the Neverending Story. So no, Legend isn't very good. And and to be honest, I've I've seen Neverending Story off and on maybe, and I've seen this I've seen the sequels more than I've seen okay. Neverending. Itself. I made a point of uh, watching it one time because it seemed very popular with people. 
And so I watched oh, it and I went, think we're eh. setting ourselves up for people asking us to see some of these. So let's move <laughs> on before they catch on to that. Uh, so, so we're going to get Nothing to see here, folks. To, yeah, the fight with Fezzik. Yes. Uh, and uh, the man in black, uh, Johnny Cash. And so uh, how do you beat Andre the Giant? What do you do? Yeah. This seems this seems hopeless. It does, especially when he, especially when he broke a rock, you know, inches from your head, yeah. and said, "I could have hit you, but I didn't." And the other says, "I appreciate that." Yeah, their dialogue is so good. I know it's a sparkling the whole time. It's it so good, and yet there still is that menace in the air. Yeah. Of just like if the man in black doesn't do the right thing, he will be killed. Yeah, yeah. Because this is his job. It will not be done with malice, it, <laughs> but it will be done. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and just like uh, Montoya would have killed him, probably. So, you yes, know, he you got to do, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, but he figures out how to how to beat him eventually, which is uh, getting on his back and uh, and and bas- and choking him out. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, which is not a great thing nowadays. But uh, he, but he was okay back then. Uh, and uh, what's well, a sleeper it, hold? It, yeah, sleeper it was a sleeper hold, hold which you get in well, wrestling. I was going to say, so it's sort of a it's sort of a callback to to Andre the Giant's actual profession as a as a wrestler. And don't worry, yeah. everyone, as the wrestlers like to say, kayfabe. This is it's all you know. It's all it's all for fun. I did like uh, I did like him slamming uh, slamming him against uh, the rock, like just slamming against the wall. Yes, uh, to try and get him off his back. Yeah. Like it, it legitimately looks like it hurts, but like in a in a good comedic way. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's one thing that Carrie. Uh, I don't know how to say Elwes. Uh, you just only... said it. You just said Elwes. All right, there you go. He's a guy who will show you pain in a way that's not that's effective, but not disturbing to you. You can tell, like, he gets hurt a lot in this movie, like a lot. Yes, he does. And, 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 and acts it very well. Yeah. And, but again, it's a tough thing to do. Like he could look like he's in agony and we go, Ugh, I feel bad for, I really feel bad for him. And, and you do feel bad for him, but like, you've got to, you got to have a good balance there. And he does really good pain acting. Yeah. Good job, uh, Carrie. Well, well done. I mean, I he's not really called saw where it's all, all pain. Let's see how he does in that. He's in saw. Yeah, he is. I didn't realize that. He's in the in the first Saw movie, what? and I'm not going to tell you if he's in the other Saw movies because that would be a spoiler. Last time I saw him was in the Canadian film Teen Lust. He played the leader, the leader of a satanic church. Hmm. And I say satanic church because in the film the church is treated as like any other church, as in a place where kids have to go to. Ugh, mm-hmm. mom and dad are making me go to the satanic ritual tonight. Ugh. So oh, that sounds familiar. I may have seen this. That's a good movie. It's directed by um, our friend Blaine Thurier from. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Uh, also, he's uh, he's in. Uh, I'm talking Carrie L's. Now. Yeah, uh, he's in Stranger Things now, and oh. um, marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel. I did not know he was in the marvelous Miss Maisel. Interesting. Yes, he is. Yeah, pretty big part in that. Is it Mrs. Maisel uh, or Miss Maisel? I thought it was Miss Maisel, but okay. It's, well, uh, it's Miss Ma- Mrs. Maisel. I'm sorry, oh, okay. I said Miss. Maisel. No, I said I thought it was Miss. Maisel. I thought it was Miss Maisel. I didn't Could re- be in the sixties now. I didn't realize she was married. I thought she was not married. Indeed, she is. Oh, could you imagine an unmarried woman doing? Oh my gosh, stand up, <laughs> ridiculous. We'll Shut talk up. about that another time, though. <laughs> so uh, he does knock him out, uh, and so uh, there you go. Uh, move, moving on there. So it is now on to the third uh, of the uh, of the villains, uh, which is Vizzini, and now it is a is a battle of the mind, which is a which is you would think. Uh, we've just had a spectacular sword. Yeah. Then we moved on to like an amazing boss battle. Yeah. You know, with Andre the Giant. Yes. And now he's going to fight 
Wally Sean? <laughs> well, punch him in the face and walk away. But no. That's the end of that. You can't do that. That would not be nope. gentlemanly. It wasn't, yeah. So they, they're going to have a battle of wits, and the battle of wits is uh, they have two cups. One contains poison. Uh, and this is this is set up by the man in black. Uh, yes. He's gonna he's gonna uh, and he's got to decide which uh, which uh, has the poison in it. Yeah. And and of course Wally Sean, being the egomaniac that he is, uh, <laughs> can't turn this down. No. So uh, so no, he... Uh, he goes on the longest speech in the world about uh, <laughs> you know where, where the poison is. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yes. The poison comes yeah. from Australia, so. The cups cannot possibly be in front of you, and blah blah blah. Yes. Yeah, and this are you? Is, done? Yeah. I think you're stalling. I've only just begun. Yes, and it, it, it's beautiful. And again, <laughs> this this is it's very possible this wouldn't work because yeah. we've just had two spectacular scenes, and now we've gone to the verbal gag. Yeah, that's yeah. a gag. Uh, but, uh, but but it does but Sean but Sean overplays it so perfectly. Yes, like he's so over the top in the sequence that in a uh, in a career defining role, a role <laughs> that honestly, yeah. again, times I've seen him, people just shout inconceivable at him. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like he, that's it. Yeah. He, whatever he does, uh, you know, now forever, and he's done many things since. Sure. Uh, it's like he's a novelist. He's an actor. Inconceivable. Playwright. Yeah. And he's uh, one of my favorite things. Actually, is uh, an old uh, Harvey Picard American Splendor story where Harvey Picard ends up meeting uh, Wally Sean. And uh, it's, it's great. It's a great little story where... I vaguely remember thinks, that. Yeah, if I, if I can uh, get in with Wally Sean, oh, I'm going to make that great money that you make <laughs> as a playwright. And then he realizes, playwrights make nothing! Nothing! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, I've uh, hooked my wagon to the wrong star. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, uh, the cup battle... Uh, goes on, and then uh, uh, Wally Sean has a, a fantastic death. Yes, yes. The frozen, arrogant smile, and then <laughs> the side pass out cartoon. Like completely Tex Avery. <laughs> you know, Pete Puma would die in the same way. Yeah, yeah. It's, be it's beautiful. And he's uh, he he's defeated. Yes. Yeah, just just so good. Uh, so then he uh, he takes Buttercup uh, prisoner, uh, and they stop to rest at the end of a gorge. Uh, and uh, when she realizes that he is the Dread Pirate Roberts, she's furious because he has killed uh, her love, uh, Wesley, and then pushes uh, pushes him down the hill. It's not, but and, also uh, also uh, Wesley, aka the Dread Pirate, Pirate Roberts, aka the Man in Black. Oh, there's the twist. He is <laughs> he is testing her in the scene, right? Because he is he is angry at her because he feels that she has betrayed him. He told her he would return. And here right. she is, affianced to Prince Humperdinck, mm -hmm. there, thereby betraying their love. And so he's angry at her for this. And so he, he, not telling her who he is, he accuses her of unfaithfulness, you know, and uh, being being uh, callow, I guess. And, and yeah, and of course she believed death, she believed death could stop true love. Yes, yes. How cynical could you be? <laughs> and so then she. Believing him to yes be the Dread Pirate Roberts, she attacks him and pushes him down a hill. We get a great sequence of him rolling down the hill and then saying as he rolls, "You can say it." Oh, as you wish. <laughs> and she realizes Wesley. She then immediately jumps and begins to roll down the hill herself. Yeah, it's great. I yeah, love it's it. Great. I, I, Every I, kid watches this and just goes, "Ah, I just I, get it." Yeah, wish I could watch, down the Wish I could roll down a hill, and I like how they film it because it makes it look even steeper than it probably was. Uh, Mm -hmm. Apparently, it's very dangerous to do rolls like that down a hill for stunt people. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah, apparently it's very dangerous. It's probably one of the most dangerous things they can they can do, mm. but, which surprised me. But I guess it's sort of hard to control it and hard to control where you land and things like that. But uh, I guess so. I mean, again, you just remember it from when you were a kid and mm-hmm. you just on a hill. It was like, yep, just throw yeah. yourself down a hill. But or, or back when you were young, I remember you would throw yourself down some stairs. <laughs> well, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? We've indeed. got a prime minister who, like, that was his. That's his bit sure. that he would do as a young man. Uh, would just be like, just gag that he's falling backwards down a flight of stairs. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's how you become prime minister in Canada if you can do that. <laughs> and then, and then at the bottom of the stairs, yeah. stand up and speak French. Boom. Oui. You're, the, you're, the, you're the PM. <laughs> So they get to the bottom of the hill uh, and uh, and uh, are, are reunited, and it feels so good. And have a, and have a beautiful kiss together. Oh, such a great kiss! And, Which is of uh, course interrupted because yeah, Fred, Fred Savage, Savage is... does not care for the smooching. Blah. Yeah, because he goes, "This is how I got mono," <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the uh, grandfather like, "What? Uh, no, it's not at all. What happens?" Uh, and, but he wants to hear more of the story. And Wesley explains that the Dread Pirate Roberts is actually a title. It's passed on. That'd be kind of funny. Uh, I was just sorry to interrupt you, but it'd be kind of funny if uh, during that during the film, Fred Savage's character, like one point, is holding a monoplane in his hand. Then he has <laughs> then he has some like mono silicone sealant that he like hawking <laughs> stuff. You know that he's you know just keeps and he's listening to the Beatles albums, but in mono. That's right. Goes, this well, is the only way to really listen to these. I was things. gonna say Phil Spector because he had his back to mono <laughs> campaign, so he's got like a Phil Spector back to mono. But That's non- a better his, reference. Yeah, yeah. Just stuff Excellent. like that. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I wonder yeah, what he's learned, sick from. Hmm. We learn we learned that uh, yeah, the Dread Pirate Roberts is actually a title. It's passed on, uh, and so it's been passed on to him. But when he was captured, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts every night would uh, would say to him, uh, you know, uh, "Good night. I'll most likely kill you in the morning," and then uh, <laughs> yes. eventually passed on the title to to him and that's just such a great idea that is such a great idea isn't it this idea such that, a great uh, idea yeah yeah i mean it's just this wonderful wonderful idea that you could base a completely different movie on mm-hmm. that's just like that's a movie yeah you know a pirate uh, it, a pirate franchise pirate franchise like just the idea of like hey you like darth vader you know, what's the deal with darth vader well, there's a bunch of Darth Vaders. Here's how it goes. It's like, you know, a, a, we Darth Vader with this guy until he dies. Then we take the armor, we put it on another guy, and we he's Darth Vader now, and it just works. And, we just, and so we, we never have to, like, build up a new, uh, you know, scary guy for the Empire. That's how mm-hmm. it goes. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's really, it's damn clever, and I, uh, I'm all for it. Um, that's actually, so, that's uh, actually a great idea. It's me they didn't think about that for the, uh, for the, the sequels. Oh, well, listen, man, they, they nailed it with all the sequels. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I got to listen to our episodes about the sequels and see what we what we said. I think we said they were all excellent and everything worked out. I believe so. I'd say everyone just listen to our old episodes. Yeah. See what we said. I think we, only co- we only covered, well, we did a general summary of the whole thing, but then we only covered the, the very last film in any detail. Yeah. So, Too bad uh, for us. We could have started this one when... The uh, Last Jedi came out. No, no, we had to we had to start this thing for for uh, the Rise of Skywalker. So now they're going uh, they're going through the fire swamp. Uh, yes, pretty great. Pretty great. Uh, inhabited by the, as you say, Rous rodents of unusual size. And watching, it, and I was thinking, have... like, uh, oh, is this is this leftover set from Dagobah? It's very Dagobah, for it sure. sure is. And and they have a scene in here that I still have no idea how they do. 
I don't. I've got no idea how uh, after she falls With into the sand, the lightning sand. How he? How he yeah. The, the was it the sinking sand? The what's? Sand? I thought it was the lightning sand, but I can't. I... Lightning sand. I think you're correct. But how he dives into sand? Yeah. Like I don't know what. How, well, she sinks that... really quickly too. So how how they they must have like some sort of membrane that he can like jump through that's holding the sand in place. I guess. And there's enough of it around it that it can kind of fill the hole quickly before it. Yeah, the level, it works perfectly. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, as as a kid, you know, you were you were scared of quicksand. Of course. Like, it's scary. But, like, the idea of, smart. like, you, were you scared of quicksand? How about lightning sand? What? <laughs> Boom. And the idea of diving headfirst into this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, I don't know how they do the effect. It's still brilliant to me. Yeah. And then when he comes up with her and they're coughing up the sand. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like it's, it's water. Just, it's so good. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. And then, yeah, the rodents of unusual size. Which is a weird, uh, okay, that's a weird, this is the one weird thing in the movie to me was okay. they're sitting there, they're like coughing up their sand, they're 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 discussing, you know, wo- their, their woes. And then above them are these R-O-U-S mm-hmm. looking down on them. And, and I assume they can see them because they're, you know, large and clearly there. But then he says, you know, we've, we know how the fire works. We know how, because there's a scene where the fire comes out of, out of the, the, yeah, you hear the sound, you hear right a pop and it lights Princess Buttercup's dress on fire and he has to put it out. But from then on, he kind of, he knows how it works. So when he hears the sound, he's able to, he's able to avert, avert either of them getting burned by it. And then, and then they find the, the lightning sandwich, which uh, he says you helpfully found you know like how he just puts this positive he doesn't say like a dumb you walked into or whatever he says which you so helpfully found so now we know what it looks like so we can avoid it and then and then he says but but i don't think there are any rous here even though just like moments before they were like perched above them Mm. and then out of nowhere this rous jumps on him and attacks them do you think he could have been saying that he saw them when they came in but now, well, no, because in... they were they were uh, above them when they were after they got out of the lightning sand when they got out of the sand trap. They ah. the, there's these two rous sort of snorting and sniffing above them, and not and not being in no way being subtle about it. So so they're clearly there. So I don't know why it's just weird to me. Maybe he didn't notice them. Maybe yeah, it has that kind of pantomime element of of things that you unless you like obviously notice them, they're not noticeable, you know. And so I don't know. It's not a big deal. I mean. I, I don't think many people in the theater stood up and said, what is this? I'm yeah. leaving. <laughs> I didn't even do it. So they're rolling, uh, they're rolling on the, uh, they get attacked. He gets attacked by. Oh, the, uh, he does he ever? Side. I mean, this is a really, yeah. this is a really gory it, scene. Again, it's, he gets hurt. Yeah. He gets legitimately hurt through this. His arm uh, getting bitten. But he learns, he learns what to do, which is to roll uh, the, uh, the rodent onto the flame, uh, which again is like pretty brutal. And uh, but and and uh, there we go. You've beaten the three uh, elements of the uh, of the fire swamp. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Good on you. But as they leave, they're captured uh, by Humperdinck and his uh, sadistic visor, uh, Count Rugen, played by uh, the amazing Christopher Guest. Yeah. Uh, who you know, last time he was with Rob Reiner was uh, <laughs> you know in Spinal Tap. Uh, couldn't have been playing a more different character then. Sure. sure. And uh, yeah, just plays the quiet sadist just yeah yeah perfect sadist ah oh, so so good yeah it's not really like a standout performance or like a big hammy performance no. it's really it's very very quiet and sort of almost workmanlike and how and how he approaches it it's, it's interesting and again 
and again, almost all these characters that they play in this movie are characters they will never play again. <laughs> yes. They'll never, you'll never see a Christopher Guest character like that again. No, well, he doesn't really Wally have six Sh- fingers. Yeah, you won't have a Wally Sean over the top, inconceivable. Yeah, kind of yeah. Character like that. Yeah. You know, you will, you know, Mandy Patinkin will never be that kind of swashbuckling No, no, guy you're right. Never yeah. again. No. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe again, Billy Crystal is going to play Billy Crystal. What's he going to do? Uh, <laughs> but for the, but for the most part, yeah, everyone, everyone's doing a very unique character they'd never do before and never do again. Yeah. And, and nailing it. So anyway, uh, they run in, they run into them. They run into them. Uh, and, uh, this is where we, uh, see that he's got the six fingers and mm-hmm. we realize, Oh, he's the guy that killed. And he goes, uh, father, uh, buttercup agrees to go with Humperdinck. Uh, if, she, if they'll let Wesley go and, uh, Humperdinck gives his word, Again, this is the big thing. You gotta be honorable. You can do anything <laughs> you want as long as you're honorable. You sure, be a monster, sure. but you gotta be an honorable monster. Oh, that's right. And so uh, we know that Count Rugen had Inigo Montoya's father make him a sword. And when he came to get it after his father spent months slaving over this sword, he demanded that he pay that he be charged much less for it. And when Montoya's father refused, he was then killed by Count Rugen. So once Which again, a double dealer. Dis- yeah, yeah, dishonorable. dishonorable. That's the thing. Yeah. It's not. It's not that he killed his father. Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, but he killed his father in a dishonorable way yeah. and didn't give him a fair chance to fight. So that's the that is the sin. Yeah, uh, the sin here. So, uh, so uh, Buttercup goes with Humperdinck. Uh, Wesley, of course, is not for this. But uh, Humperdinck then orders. Uh, you know, uh, Rugen to uh, to to lock Wesley in his torture chamber, the pit of despair, the pit which of despair, yeah. which Count Rugen is all for. <laughs> yeah. Being a sadist, he's very happy with this. That's right. So Buttercup is uh, very upset at having to marry Humperdinck. He's gone uh, from being a sadist to being a happiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and his real plan, of course, is to start a war with the neighboring country. Yes. Uh, uh, Gilder, this is the whole thing that was set up earlier. Sure, that's why that's why the insignia was left, and so we, yeah, we discover that this whole thing, even though the prince was chasing after uh, the kidnappers, we didn't. I don't think we mentioned that, but we do see the, the the prince hunting prowess. He is on the trail of the of of the of the characters. He discovers where the sword fight took place. He finds the left the remains of the of the poison chalice uh, or the poison cup drinking. Mm-hmm contest we're gonna call it and then he also knows that they've gone into the into the into the swamp of what is it called the the fire uh, fire, fire, swamp. Swamp, fire, swamp. fire swamp yeah yeah and so that's why he's able to anticipate them coming out of it and wait and is waiting for them at the uh at the exit or entrance depending on which direction you're going that, i suppose that's right now he had actually hired Vizzini to kill her yes like so that was that was the thing it wasn't just a kidnapping it was going to be a murder yeah um so uh so uh, he, so Inigo and uh, Fezzik uh, reunite uh, when Humperdick orders that the thieves, uh, the thieves were arrested in the in the nearby forest. And uh, Fezzik, I'm reading just right off of Wikipedia now. Okay. And Fezzik uh, tells Inigo about uh, Rugen. This is what I've got here. Meanwhile, Inigo, uh, this is not making a lot of sense to me. Meanwhile, no, no. Ingo and Fezzik reunite. When uh, Humperdinck orders the thieves arrested but don't, in the nearby, forest. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But don't we yeah. first? Don't we go to the pit of despair before all this starts happening? Like, don't we? You see... know what? Why don't we anyway? Let's go to the pit of despair. Because I'm pretty uh, sure that he's because because uh, the prince is knocked unconscious, or not prince, but sure. but uh, 
Wesley. Wesley is knocked unconscious by yeah, by Rugen. Yeah, we get the nice uh, Mel Smith introduction. That's right. Where he comes up and does that kind of voice until, you know, clearing his throat. Yeah. And speaks normally, which, again, could be the cheapest gag in the world. And maybe it is, but by gosh, it works. But a a reference to the character in the book where the albino spoke in a whisper. Ah. And so they start start with that and then they they do a volt face and (laughs) just have him speak in a normal accent as if he's some sort of Essex lad. Very, very nice. Uh, so, uh, yeah, is that, is that where we have the scene with Count Rugen trying out the torture machine, which, uh, yes. sucks, uh, initially sucks a year of his life away. I don't think then... that's, ah, I think we cut away from that. Cause I think we've, we find the albino, he's tending to Wesley's wounds and Wesley says, well, if you're going to kill me, why are you healing me? And he says, because, um, you know, before we torture you, the Count Rugen wants, likes, you know, his victims to be in, in, uh good health you know or something like that and then then i think we cut to buttercup right okay here's what goes on so uh so yeah we do have the one where he takes one year away and he asks for the and and again this is christopher guest uh asking like you know uh this is this is for our uh, record so please be honest and uh, and he loves that it, he's really getting off on that uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah, yeah. Really, hurts, really hurts him <laughs> and he and so uh then meanwhile buttercup is begging Humperdinck to go look for Wesley because she thinks that he has let Wesley go. Mm. So she, uh, but uh, he's he's getting more and more furious about this. Uh, and uh, at, and then when he gets the, uh, the most angry, he uh, he tells um, he t- he tells uh, Christopher Guest Count Rugen uh, kill him, <laughs> and that's where we're going to have the execution. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, uh, this is uh, this is where Fezzik and uh, Inigo are reuniting. And I think this is where uh, Inigo is uh, is uh, drunk and he's been drinking for forever. And we have the th- scene where Fezzik is just dunking his head into a bucket of water, <laughs> hot water and then cold water to uh, to sober him up. Nice. To, to snap him out of it. Yes. And we also have Princess Buttercup's dream then as well. Yes. Yeah, the uh, queen of filth. Um, so that, <laughs> that's so great. Boo! Yeah, that's Boo. the most that's the most quotable line from the movie in our house. I will say that whenever I'm upset about something, I will like queen boo boo queen of filth when it's completely inappropriate, you know, or something. There's in the something's in the fridge that's gone off. It'll be boo boo queen of filth. But of course, the scene is a is a fake out for us as the audience as well because it's not introduced as the dream. It's introduced as reality. We see her yeah. introduced as the queen coming out of this you know, kind of haloed in the sort of halo of fog or whatever, coming out into this, the courtyard and then with her crown and stuff like that. And then she starts getting booed by this old woman booed because she gave up on true love mm-hmm. and she wakes, she wakes up and she realizes that she cannot marry Prince Humperdinck because she still loves Wesley. Yeah. It would be dishonest of her to marry Humperdinck. And I don't know again, how they find out that, uh, that uh, Count Rugen is the one that killed, uh indigo's father but he does learn that and that's wh- that's why he wants to get to the castle but they realize because that's where rugen is but he but he needs wesley's help to get to the castle because mm. just the two of them can't do it uh but unfortunately there's a problem yeah and that is that wesley has been ordered to be executed and so uh yes because this is a go back because because now because princess buttercup does not want to marry Prince Emperor, he 
plays all he plays you know all cool and calm as if butter would melt would melt in his mouth and he pro- he promises her that he will write to and Wesley at sea <laughs> he'll write to her at sea and have him come back again and so that's what she's waiting for now is for Wesley to receive this letter at sea and come back again what are you gonna say about butter sorry <laughs> I was doing a semi dirty joke about buttercup won't melt in his mouth either uh, go ahead <laughs> uh, so so yes so so now yes and it, in a frenzy of jealous rage, he he goes to the pit of despair, mm-hmm. where he finds Wesley strapped to the machine. Yeah, and then he turns it to whatever the maximum. The maximum. Yeah, the maximum rate, uh, pain, mass, maximum threshold of pain or whatever. Oh my gosh! And yeah. he he drains the life out of Wesley. Right, and also he drains the life out of him uh, in a way that also he knows he will never. Uh, find that his true love he will ne- never achieve the true love mm. and so and so that's what makes it especially horrific and yeah. so yeah this scream is heard everywhere it's the worst it's the worst scream that's ever been it's despair it's huh. it's, it's 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 all hope is lost well, i guess it is the pit of despair yeah they, they well they you know they, if they don't have despair then they can't write it off it's on their very table. it's very apt it's very aptly named yeah that, they did name it correctly What's, they did name it correctly. Let me just say, uh, when I watched, I watched this movie a little while ago because Eve was watching it, mm-hmm. and I watched up to when the the machine is turned on and Wesley starts to get, and I, and I actually don't like that sequence very much, so I left. <laughs> I just I just went to do something. I had it's to just do, a disturbing scene. Yeah, I just doesn't. I don't find it very appealing, or I don't like watching it. So I, I left, and I went and I had something to do. I had something to do anyway. I would have been sort of putting. I was procrastinating by watching Princess Bride, and so last night. I knowing we we're going to do the show today, I said, "Well, I better finish watching the film, so I'll start it where I where where I left off." Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I I must have missed a little bit of it because I I missed this part of it. And I don't remember it, so that's interesting. I missed the part where he screams a, a cry of despair. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I missed that bit. So I missed a little bit there. I'm sorry about that. Because what happened yeah. is I watched the end. I watched to the end. Then I turned it on again because I wanted to watch the beginning again. So I watched the beginning. Then I watched the fire swamp sequence. Then I watched watched up to her, <laughs> up to her, her uh, fake anointing, and then yeah. it was like it was like one something in the morning. I still had to have a, I still had to have a shower. And then I watched Legend. And, and I was then... like, oh, why am I watching this? this is a well, waste I, just, of time. I knew I wasn't going to get to bed till one thirty, and I you know I have to get up at six, so I was like, ugh, I better get to bed. So I didn't. I missed a little bit of the film at this point. So, so I apologize. I'm a, I'm I'm vaguer than I should be on this part of the film, just because I. Oh, that's okay. I skipped. So um uh, so Inigo. And uh, and uh, Fezzik, uh hear this scream. Yes, and Anigo uh, recognizes uh, the emotional ramifications of this. Yeah, and uh, and they follow the scream, and that's where they find, and so they end up finding Wesley's body. How do they get uh, into the? How do they get into the secret? Like the tree is there's a a secret entrance or a tree into the into the I bowels of the I think at some point, well, I know that. Uh, that Fezzik hits Mel Smith on the head oh, okay. at some point and knocks him out. <laughs> and so I'm not sure if he does that before they get into the tree or not. Okay. But yeah, it's a, it's just a, a hand on the head, a buckunk, if I'm remembering <laughs> yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah. A good um, comedy, but, a good comedy uh, knockout. Right. And they find Wesley's body, and that's where they take him to Miracle Max. Yes. Uh, now, listen, I would say, okay, whenever whenever people talk about should you remake this movie? Should you spin off this movie? I'm like, no, you shouldn't remake it. <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't spin it off unless 
unless okay. yeah. you're going to make a Miracle Max movie. Oh. I would I would watch a Miracle Max movie yeah. with Billy Crystal and Carol Kane because <laughs> listen, they can't get too old for the role. That's true. And, and and just see like you know what what are they up to? You could even like make them a little younger and like what were they like before you know Miracle Max's spirit was broken? And you know <laughs> what was it like you know uh, after? What, what yeah, I would love to see more of those two. But sure. I mean, this is the most. Just straight out comedy bit, like it's just like a, it's just like a Marx Brothers Groucho, Mar- you know, it's just yeah, that kind yeah. of b- business. Yes, uh, and they're just letting uh, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane go nuts. It's very broad. Yeah, so he's he's saying to him, you know, I'm not, I don't do this kind of thing. Uh, I'm not a miracle worker. Uh, get out of here. Yeah. A lot of funny, a lot of funny. It's just thick with great dialogue. Yeah. Uh, then Carol Kane as his wife. Is uh, is like no, you know, uh, you know, he's a witch. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife again. We do say that one around the house a bit. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to be that anymore. Uh, and she and she guilts him into uh, doing it also uh, because he uh, wants to get back at Humperdinck, and he mm. finds out that uh, this first of all. Uh, that this is based on true love, yes, which is the most noble thing. Even though when he pumps him, because uh, he says he's mostly dead, and puts uh, the kind of uh, the fireplace, the bellows, yes, the bellows. In there. For... Uh, it's like oh, to yeah. louve, which means to bluff, uh, which is not the same. But no, it was actually true love. Uh, but then when he learns it, it's going to screw over Humperdinck. He's like on board and yeah. uh, gives him uh, gives him a, a big uh, pill. Uh, that's got a wrap in some, I think, chocolate or something. Uh, yeah, but they, they yeah, it's a giant pill, and it's yeah, it's got it's it's you know how big it is. This is how big it is. It's as big as a as a cherry blossom. Oh, there you that go. That is big. If you're Canadian, you know what we're talking exactly. about. And if you don't, talk to Dave, and he will send you a cherry blossom. <laughs> right us after the show, and sure we will send will. you a cherry blossom, sure. and you can recreate this scene for yourself. And please don't <laughs> choke today. Um, so it, it that revives him. But only a little bit. It mm. doesn't revise his his whole body. Uh, but yeah, a great scene with Miracle Max and uh, and Valerie uh, Max's wife, who I don't think they named, but it's named in the Wikipedia page. Yes, I like Valerie. It's, they they say her name in the in, in the credits. Like they have uh, Carol Kane is Valerie. Okay, that's because uh, you can't just go Max's wife because we can't. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, very, uh, uh, that's uh, very, very nice. So, meanwhile, and this, uh, and this results in some great business in the end of the film. I think, yeah, great physical business. Yeah. Again, we keep changing the type of comedy we're doing. Mm-hmm. We just had almost a straight Marx Brothers scene, <laughs> you know, and we've had like many other verbal scenes, but then we're, we're now having some physical business. They just keep shifting what the comedy is and what the drama is. And it's such a tough balance, but they pull it off in a way that I can't think of any other movie of this type uh, doing. Yeah. But uh, but 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 it works because it's all great actors at the at their best doing roles that they're comfortable with, but that they would never do before and never do again. And what a weird casting choice that is. <laughs> um, so, so they yeah. and so they're going on an invasion of the uh, of the castle. Uh, and uh, and Wesley says he could do it if he had a Holocaust co- cloak, I think, uh, if I'm getting that right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, it's like, oh, I got one. And like, okay. So, uh, yeah, Andre the, Andre the Giant had one. Yeah, he's got one tucked into his into his tunic. And so they pretend to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes. Uh, to terrify and set themselves on fire. That's the, I guess that's what a, what do they call it? Do they call it a Holocaust cloak? 
I want to say Holocaustoscope, but my gosh, I don't want to say that. Yeah, but I seems, think that's what it is. It is a weird name, but and I guess the idea of it is that you, you can lay it on fire and you do not you do not get burned. I guess that's the idea of the uh, the cloak. I guess because it they, is. That's what it's called. They light Andre the Giant on fire, and he stands there with his cloak on, and he says, uh, "You know, I am the Dread Pirate Roberts." Yeah, and uh, basically terrifies all the guards who are guarding the castle. Because it wouldn't be enough that Andre the Giant would uh, terrify them. No, but to have the Dread Pirate Andre Roberts on fire. Yeah, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty great. I mean, it's one uh, thing. One thing people, the franchisees in the Dread the Dread Pirate Robert franchise know is that there's nothing like a name to put fear in people. You know, like yeah. you just you just can't you can't just show up as like the next pirate. No, no, no. You have to continue on. With that name, the Dread Pirate Roberts, that's the name that makes people yeah. quail, causes men, br- the bravest men, to to falter. You know, that's that's it's uh. So in I know case, the secret. The men I'm all falter. Scared. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I would assume too. You've got to then kill your entire crew. I can't see how you how you get away with it otherwise. Because if one of the crew shows up and goes, "That's not the guy," uh oh, you know, gigs up. So I'm sure, like when you swap over and become the new Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, oh, you, don't have to, you don't have to kill them. You just you just get a new crew. Uh huh. And then what happens if one of those crew just happens to like go, "Hey, Dread Pirate Roberts, I was on his uh, crew. Uh, I guess I'm going to try and go back and uh, join that crew again." Hey, wait, <laughs> that's not him. Uh, then everything's blown, and you got to kill them all. You got to you got to send them off to see. You either got to pay them off or do something. Or uh, if but anyway, that's a dark side of the story. We don't need to get into. <laughs> really? Uh, so they're lot. invading the castle. Yeah. Uh, the wedding's going on. Humperdinck plans to kill uh, Buttercup afterwards, and I think she was. Yes, we have the. Uh, kill herself anyway. We have we have um, Peter anyway, Cook. We have some... Peter Cook acting as the uh, presiding over the wedding. As I think his credit was the impressive yeah, the impressive clergyman. I think that was his <laughs> his title in the credits. Yes, the impressive clergyman. That's right. Uh, talking about marriage. Marriage. Yeah. Yeah, love. that that strange British love of I guess it's supposed to be like uh, making fun of upper class twits with with the with the speech impediment speech impediments and things. but it works and it, it shouldn't work, yeah. and it does yeah yeah and, and well uh, Peter Cook yeah. uh, Peter Cook what can you say here's a guy who like when he was twenty years old had two successful comedy shows running simultaneously in the West End of London you know what's even more shocking is yeah. Dudley Moore had an incredible movie career for a period of time. <laughs> Yeah, not Peter, right? but Peter Cook was not uh, Peter Cook. He was yeah. You think like oh, Peter yeah, Cook's the guy? No, but Dudley Moore and people. And you know what? Yeah. Dudley Dudley Moore, romantic lead. Well, is he <laughs> in more than one movie? Well, one successful film, and then the rest were kind of attempts to retread that didn't work so well. Ten did. Fine. Oh no, ten. ten. Yeah, it was in ten too, wasn't he? Yeah, but I mean, they're they're comedies. They're not, you're not supposed well, to take it seriously, but, a... but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's so, not really okay. a romantic leading man. He's He's in a comedy as a leading man. So part of the comedy uh, is that he is the leading man. But yes, you're uh, right. Right. unfaithfully uh, okay. yours. We could go through. Oh, wait, yeah, we haven't we haven't got this kind of time. There's a wedding going on. Uh, uh, no, just thinking. Uh, so, this, I just want to say, ahead. like, I, I think that it's an interesting thing though that Peter Cook, who was brilliant, brilliant comedian, you know, obviously brilliant, uh, was not uh, was never able to turn his his particular genius to. To being a to being a, a you know becoming a great actor, I guess I think probably his personality kind of worked against him. But whereas Peter Cook was much, or Dudley Moore was much more amenable. You know, he didn't have quite the prickly element. To, and Peter Cook was maybe too tall to be a leading man or have that kind of career. I guess too tall. 
everyone's my curse. That's my curse as well. Too tall. <laughs> that is what people uh, say. Let me tell you. Um, let me just quickly tell you. I know that you say we have no time, but we have all the time in the world. Um, let me tell you a little story about Peter Cook because I love this story so much. Okay. So Peter Cook, you know, he came to he came to to fame during the satire boom in in uh, England. Uh, London, probably, I guess, we were quite, but in London, in in the in the early early to mid '60s, and he was the founder of Private Eye. He and some other people, but he was the money man behind Private Eye, and was a contributor to Private Eye until he died. And sometimes he would even be the editor of Private Eye when the other editors were on vacation or whatever. And so there's a story that he was editing Private Eye, and his final act as the editor during this particular stint was to for the very first time, and no one had ever dared to do this because it was so dangerous, he named the Cray brothers as the as these gangsters that had been terrorizing the East End of London for all, all this time. Because no one, everyone knew who they were, but no one had the guts to actually print their names in the paper. And so he, okay. named, he named them in private eye and then promptly left the country on vacation. So when the actual editors returned, they had this landed in their lap that... Their, their newspaper, their, their magazine, their satirical magazine, had named these arch criminals who were well known for their savagery and murder, murderousness. And here they were coming back from their vacations to find this sitting for them. Ah, thank you, Peter Cook. But anyway, all, all, all worked out well. Don't worry. Those guys were, those Cray brothers were way too starstruck to, to ever do anything like that. Yeah, it's an interesting story. But anyway. That is interesting. Back to the movie. Well done. Because Peter uh, Peter Cook, he's in it, but it's one of those things where it's kind of like Spike Milligan in Life of Brian. It's sort of one of those things where it's like, it's not, or even in Yellowbeard, it's not your most shining moment, but it's sort of a, an acknowledgement of your greatness as a comedian that you get to have this little part in our movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just picks things up. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. nice. Yeah. And, again, and slows just, things it, down, and that's kind it of the, is the, the, it is the crossover with Yellowbeard. So there you go. <laughs> and the purpose uh, of it is, and the purpose of it is to slow things down a bit because we get Humperdinck's, uh, you know, his impatience because he knows that you know that Wesley's coming, and he knows that time is of of the essence that he needs because they can hear outside all this mayhem and and kerfuffle. And so he he wants uh you know he wants this thing over with so he pretty much rushes the marriage but by doing so he uh, he basically annuls his own marriage he makes it it's not a real marriage because there is no agreement from the bride to this marriage mm-hmm. but yes so they are now quote unquote married and he rushes her off to the marriage chamber only to find what does he find Ian uh, that's a very good question uh, he finds uh, Wesley but before this happens <laughs> oh okay I'm sorry Did I jump we, ahead have, we have one of the biggest scenes which is oh. uh, Anigo finds uh, finds uh, Count Reuben oh that's right that's right there is this kind of strange interruption in the middle of the yeah. plot A uh, this is this is the big uh, confrontation and, uh, and a great scene where uh, Reuben ends up like stabbing uh, well, he throws he throws a knife. Yeah, he throws a knife as as uh, Montoya races into the room. There's a long yeah. chase sequence throughout the castle, which, sure. I, which... it looks like it looks like uh, Rugen's going to fight him honorably. Then he runs. Yes. And so once again, by the rules of this movie, he has behaved dishonorably, <laughs> and so now he is the villain, he, not yeah. just for murdering his father, yeah. but because he is dishonorable. Yeah. And now he can be killed. <laughs> and so yes, there's a chase. A, Kind of a weirdly quick chase sequence through the castle as as uh, Rugen runs, Montoya chases, and then they catch. He catches up to him in the what looks like the banquet hall for the wedding, and as he runs into the room, Rugen turns and throws his dagger and hits Montoya in the in the gut. Yeah, and Montoya falls to the 
to the it begins to die before our eyes. And uh, and uh, okay, so, uh, ever the sadist, he's so happy, Camp Rugen, that this is going on. Is <laughs> that finds it delightful? Like before this, he has actually said his whole piece of just like I'm going to say to this man, you know, my name is Antigo Inigo Montoya. Inigo, yeah, Inigo Montoya. Pre- prepared, prepared to die. I'm going to get it wrong every time. Don't yeah. worry about okay. it. Um, uh, and uh, and and that's when he runs away. Uh, and 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 so it looks like well, this is. This is delightful, you know. You're never gonna uh, get that revenge. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. How how awful and wonderful. But then uh, Inigo st- stands up and starts saying it quietly. Uh, you know, uh, kill my father, prepare to die, and then it gets stronger. Is it, yeah, gets... as if he's pumping himself up with this. Oh, it's great. It's it's such a great, dramatic, beautiful scene. It's great, and the two of them are playing it in 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 a way comedically, like comedic beats. But playing playing them dramatically, it's like everything that they're doing could be done for for almost for laughs or or too over the top. But they've got the perfect balance. These two great actors, yeah, yeah, and uh, and and then they get actually into a sword fight, mm-hmm. and then he ends up, you know, uh, uh, killing him. Sure, and, sure, uh, yeah. It's it's beautiful because it is a, it is a tough thing. It's one of these things where if your motivation is at the very beginning, I want to murder this man. Mm-hmm. Then you can't by the end of the movie, and I murdered him, and now I'm happy. <laughs> you've got to throw some obstacles in and twists, yeah. and you've got to make yeah. it make sense, and you've got to, yeah, and they and they do, they do enough stuff that it all makes sense. And what's great so, is uh, that, and what's great is that it's not it's not the movie's climax. It's a culmination mm-hmm. of it's a culmination of plot B, and it's a great culmination, and you're you're, you're so happy when when he has his when he has his victory, and yet, but there's more movie to come, and that's great because. You you don't get that kind of like um, you know I don't know post climax uh, letdown you know like so the movie's still so you get that nice little climax but nope we still we still have a movie to 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 get through we still have to get Wesley and Buttercup together come on yep and so uh, Wesley finds Buttercup who's about to commit suicide so uh, Wesley of course let's, is, let's, Wesley of course yeah. is, is paralyzed yes he cannot he can barely move he's yeah, they were very excited when he could move his hands earlier in the in in the in the story. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and he lets her know that her mar- marriage is invalid because she never said I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Humperdick comes in and they go, oh well, now I I got him because he's paralyzed. But is he? And this is where he gives a description of what he's going to do to him. And this by uh, this I mean Wesley, <coughs> where he's going Excuse to uh, what is it? It's it, he, he's going to not kill him. No, but he's going to cut him to the to the cruel. Is that what it is? Yes, one of that. He's going to cut is. him bits and pieces of him off. He's going to cut off his. Yeah, feet. basically, I forget what it is. To the pain, to the pain, uh, and, yeah. and and it's because yeah, he's going to cut off bits and pieces of him. So anytime a child sees him, the child will scream. And, and anyone who <laughs> sees him nose. will be repulsed. Yeah, yeah. and of course uh, I, the the uh, um, Humberding says, "Yes, yes, I suppose you're going to cut off my ears." And he says, "No, I'm not going to cut off your ears because I want you to be able to hear." perfectly yeah. the screams of horror of people when they see you yeah. it's great it's like that's exactly right and the problem is often with movies like this when you've got a villain who's done such horrific things and you're like and then they fall off something yeah yeah and you're like well that's that's that's, that's it and it's like no 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 here's what i'm gonna do to you it's like, <laughs> it's, it's it's a very very nice scene um so he uh he bluffs his way out of the duel and uh they flee the castle and uh, and yeah, uh, because there was a nice thing earlier where um, he does manage to uh, stand though. Let's let's point that out. He does manage to stand and and sort of on guard 
Humperdinck yes. with his sword uh, sword outstretched towards him. And but that's early, what makes, makes Humperdinck uh, drop his sword. Right. Early, uh, Fred Savage is asking, uh, you know, who kills him? And it's like, no one kills him, says uh, Peter Fall. Yeah. What do you mean? It's like, well, yeah, but he's got to die. No, no. No, he's fine. He's <laughs> fine at the end of the book. Yeah. It's like, well, no, you can't. That can't be. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. But it is. And he is. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because he's a because he's a coward. Mm-hmm. And again, by the rules that we have set up, there's nothing worse that you could be than dishonorable. Not as, so, a, not as a coward, but he's a prideful, arrogant coward. Yeah. And so it's, he has been his pride has been stung, which to in the movie is more is more harm, harmful to him than any sort of physical hurt. Could absolutely. Be. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he bluffs his way out, and Wesley rides away uh, with uh, with. Okay, well, first they, of all, they jump from the they, castle. Yes, they yes. jump. They they get the help of uh, Inigo and uh, Fezzik. I forget what is Fezzik's end end uh, end story. What does what does he get? Because Inigo definitely has his uh, you know comeuppance and everything. But I forget what Fezzik uh, gets out of it. Like he's going. To, I think. I th- oh, is it Fezzik going to be the Dread Pirate Roberts? I yes, think it, that's what he. It, that's his reward. Is he becomes no uh, Montoya becomes a dread pirate Roberts. Uh, Physics. I don't know what his. What I don't know what his reward is for this. Sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to think what it is. I don't remember. He gets. He gets something, but he gets something that makes him happy. I forget what it is. Uh, and uh, we apologize, everybody. Um, it's unforgivable. And, it's inconceivable we get, that we would forget this. Indeed. And now is when we get the second kiss. Uh, between mm-hmm. Buttercup and uh, and uh, Wesley, and this is one where uh, then we cut to Peter Falk going, "Well, you don't want to hear that part." To, to <laughs> He's like, "No, no, no, it's okay. I don't mind. I don't yeah. mind. It's all right. Yeah, it's all right." Because what you don't know is uh, this has taken so long that Fred Savage has gone through puberty. And <laughs> time is taken. What a long movie. Yeah, and so uh, that's the end of the story. Is they run? They write off. Uh, you know, a happily uh, ever after with, with true love, mm-hmm. and uh, and Fred Savage asks his grandfather if he wouldn't mind to read the story to him again the next day, yeah. and the grandfather replies, "As you wish," and that's when you realize the grandfather was uh, Wesley the whole time, and it was a true story, <laughs> and that's when Robin Wright walks into the room, and no, that doesn't happen. That's not when you remember that at all. No, no at all. But very no. very sweet. Yeah. I, th- I was thinking that maybe I maybe I, I can uh, think of Inigo Montoya's name so well because I there's this I don't know if I want to call him famous but the famous British architect from the 17th century or so called Inigo Jones which I okay. always I always thought was a weird name so I didn't realize it was Spanish but it, it makes sense I guess but anyway so so then uh, yeah so when I was using this movie I'm like oh like Inigo Jones <laughs> I don't know why I, don't know why I know that. This, like everyone says when they hear in, Inigo Montoya, ah, oh yeah, like Inigo Jones, British. You know architect. what I'm talking about? Yeah, famous. Yeah, architect. it's uh, you know, it's Fezzik. Oh, Fezzik, like Fezzik Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you know what I'm right. talking yeah, about? Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know. Uh, everything. Vizzini Jones. No, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. It all makes. You say, you say, well, no, you say, oh, like the Charles Dickens character, Fezzik Wig. Yeah, that's what you say. Yeah. And then everyone goes, ugh, and then they leave the room. <laughs> They can't. But to, but to, They're too uh, bad for them. They're trapped in their car listening to this dumb show. <laughs> but it is a it is a very sweet love story, and it's a sweet love story as well of love story between grandfather and his grandson. Yes. And them. Yes. You know, and the grandson who might be a little too old to be hearing a story from his grandfather. Yeah. But then learns by the end. You know what? I kind of like it. Yeah. Kind of like you know, sharing this time with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's kind of a nice, beautiful little thing uh, in there exactly. as well. Exactly. It's a great. Um, it's a great kind of a great double 
story there. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. And, the, and everyone really in this is at their best. Mm-hmm. There's no one in here that you just go, ugh, that wasn't a great performance. <laughs> they really phoned that one in. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, even Billy Crystal, you you might go like, oh, no, what are we doing? <laughs> but it was still at that point where you love Billy Crystal going yeah. way over the top. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah, that's perfect. Some go over the top. Peter Cook goes way over the top. Yeah. That's great. It's fine. Yeah. Mel Smith does a real goofball big character. That's great. That's all fine. Yeah. And then some people have the grounded stuff and it all works. And yeah. Christopher Guest is kicking, kicking ass. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. quotable as hell. Yeah, some, so. some characters are there to as the serious characters. You know, Buttercup and and Wesley are there as your love interest. They're not comp. They're not they're not broad comedy characters. They're serious characters. Their love is real. They're you know what they're doing. Their actions are are noble and heroic. Uh, the humor in Wesley is in his you know in his incredible politeness in the face of of you know possible death <laughs> in, mm. in the face of danger. He is polite and and you know positive and confident in himself. You know. So some of the other directors that were uh, mm, that tried yeah. to adapt the book. This was interesting. Uh, Francois Truffaut. Strange, uh, Robert, but yeah. yeah. Robert Redford. Okay. Norman, Norman Jewison. Okay. And uh, Richard Lester. Yeah, all of them, I'm happy didn't try it. I didn't get to do it. Because I think that uh, the best one would have been Rob Reiner's, for sure. And uh, at one point, it looked like um, Christopher Reeve was going to be playing Wesley. Yeah, yeah. Which who knows? I mean, that's you the know, thing. Once once you have Wesley in your mind as Carrie Ells, then you can't, you can't. Uh, it's hard to put someone else in in this place. And you know, Christopher Reeve might have worked in that role. <sighs> I don't know. But anyway, he might have. You know, he's very distinctive though, Christopher Reeve, right? So, and uh, Carrie uh, uh apparently was cast uh, based on uh, his role in the film Lady Jane. Okay, where he was uh, Jane's uh, Jane's husband, a little British costume drama i don't know what with, that uh, i don't know that helena, movie is. helena bonham carter okay yeah I don't uh, know it's it's the story of uh, lady jane gray the nine days queen oh. uh and of her romance with her husband lord guilford dudley and so uh yeah he played uh he played old dudley and uh, <laughs> hey, patrick stewart's in this as well maybe, maybe take a look at this this is interesting um but yeah uh he nails it he he couldn't be better in it uh, yeah. Robin Robin Wright again couldn't be better in it. So good. Now she's now she's playing uh, Wonder Woman's mom. Good for her. Well, let me she's, just say that she's very uh, good in she's very good in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which is a a great movie, and she's quite good in it. Uh, Robin, yeah, Robin Robin Wright is just playing an amazing actor. Like she's mm-hmm. just yeah, just great performance after great performance. Yeah, uh, everyone's everyone's great. Everyone's fantastic. Everyone's at the top of their game. It's hard to criticize it. It is the opposite of the emoji movie. <laughs> it was a nice. It was a nice palate cleanser after that experience. Yep. Because that but, uh, was like dying. Is there is there anything else you want to say about this, or should I throw it over to our uh, listeners? You can throw it over to listeners, I guess. All right. Would love to know your opinions of things, or if there's anything that we uh, missed out. On, did you see it in the theater? Did you see it on video? Did you see it on DVD? Did you see it on streaming? Did someone go, you gotta see this? Did they build it up too much for you? <laughs> uh, did it sneak up on you? Did you hear all the quotes first 
and then see the movie mm. uh, and then go, ah, that's where all the quotes are from. Or did you know too much about the movie already? And so it was a little bit ruined for you. Let us know. And here's how uh, you can do that. Uh, you can go to our page, which is uh, the Sneaky Dragon page. That's our other podcast we do. Uh, so that's SneakyDragon.com. And on there you will find this podcast and all the other podcasts we do. And under each one, uh, there's a message board and you can post there. Or you can go to Sneaky Dragon on Facebook. You can go to at Sneaky underscore Dragon on Twitter, SneakyDragon.tumblr.com on Tumblr, or email us at SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com, SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. And, uh, yeah, we always uh, love hearing for, from you. We don't really read the letters on the air. Apologies for that. But we will respond to them uh, wherever you uh, write to us. So, uh, so yeah, again, uh, we, we really do enjoy hearing from you. And we're looking for suggestions for other movies to see while we are not able to go into uh, movie theaters. The only restriction we would say is, is it available on a streaming service? Is it, uh, is it there on Amazon or Netflix or anything like that? Then uh, that makes it easier for us because we're cheap. <laughs> we're very tight-fisted. It's not just cheap, but I think that if we want to share the experience with other, other listeners, then it's easier for them to find the films too rather than having to rent it through... Apple, through Apple or, uh, or yeah, through iTunes is. or through um, Google, whatever. And if um, you want us to send you a cherry blossom, uh, we'll send a cherry blossom to the first three people that uh, write us. Oh. So, uh, hey, give me a cherry blossom. We'll mail <laughs> it to you. I don't know if legally we're allowed to, but we'll do it. Yeah, I don't, so, think, I don't so, know if they're legally allowed to leave leave Canada. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but I don't care. I'm going to put a fake wow. name on well, on, on on the return thing. That's This is your uh, legal problem. I guess you haven't heard that uh, song. What's that? I broke the Lowry, but the Lowry won. Thanks so much for uh, listening. Go, you, you wrap this one up. <laughs> Why am I doing this? I don't know. You started doing it, so I, I was just, I'll just, be, I'll just be quiet. So everyone, thank you for joining us on this rather pleasant episode of the Fans Planners. This was a very nice movie, and I'm, I'm glad that Eve suggested this film. And Thanks, uh, Eve. yeah, instead of trying to somehow punish us from a distance. People are angry at us, I guess, and sending us movies that, uh, anyway. No, no, I'm just joking, of course, because I know that. <laughs> it was Nina who asked for the movie. And simply because she saw it and did not understand what she had just seen and needed us to explain what happened. Why did someone make that mess? I don't mean she didn't understand the movie, because I know a two-year-old can understand the movie. I just mean she couldn't understand like how all that money how, all that money was thrown into this animated hole in the ground. Ah. <sighs> Anyway, but no, this was this was great. It was a fun fun film to revisit, and since we've been talking about it, I'm I was actually thinking here, sitting here thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rent the Sure Thing and watch ah. that. I'm going to try and find that and, and rent I've it. I've never because... seen it. I should I should see it. Oh, you haven't? Oh, it's John Cusack. Yeah. A, oh, I know what it in is. In a very just, early I've role. I've never uh... seen it. Yeah, I know everything about it mm. except I've never watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw it on video uh, just through fluke. I didn't even know about it, and I you know I'd already seen Spinal Tap and stuff like that, but I just. I didn't know it had come out or maybe I just didn't, wasn't, you know, I wasn't paying attention. And then suddenly there, you know, it, just, it was on video and I watched it and I was just like, oh, it's a great movie. It was a lot of fun. I really like the character that John Cusack plays in it, which is a slob, you know. Mm. It's a kind of an opposite, odd couple kind of a movie, but it's it's very good. So, yes, I'm going to give that a I give that a watch. Okay, fair enough. And uh, if someone out there goes, hey, talk about that one, <laughs> we'll just, do that one as well. We just might. Uh, so we do look forward to hearing from you, though. We just, we just might. So, yes, as Ian said, 
those are all ways to contact us. If you couldn't remember what Ian said, there is on our website, stinkydragon.com, a contacts page. You can find all our contacts there, including our snail mail address if you'd prefer to send us a letter. Crazy. A letter with nice cursive writing, suitably perfumed is always very nice to get. And so with that, everyone, please save us the seat at the very back of the second level mezzanine in the theater. We appreciate it. And if you're sharing popcorn with us, wash your damn hands. <laughs> That's right. And we'd never trust it if people keep the box in their lap. All right, everyone. Thank you. We will Ew. <laughs> We will see you in two weeks. Bye. Who ordered the extra butter? Oh my god. Storm in the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bye.